Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am joined, as always, by a technically challenged Jeremy and <laughs> Lee Carlo. On this perfect sounding Lee Perfect Carlo. sounding Lee Carlo. Oh, he's so perfect. On this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast, we will be discussing the new Spike Lee joint, Black Klansman. And then we're going to move on to a little bit of a kind of a, uh, a revisit of our Fincher podcast last week, which if you couldn't didn't get enough in an hour and 45 minutes, you'll <laughs> certainly get a little more here. And then we're going to wrap it all up with our top five characters who are pretending to be someone else. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. Okay, guys, I have a quick question for you. Um, I know the two, neither of you are very into politics or, um, I don't know, just kind of like political things in general. And I'm not really either, but I feel like maybe I'm a little more interested than you guys are, but I know you're not a big fan of them in movies either. And this movie is a little political, but you know, maybe it's not, we'll get into that later on. But my question is, what is the easiest way for you guys to digest cultural, political issues, things that came up in Black Klansmen in the, in a movie form? Do you like them kind of serious in sort of the Oliver Stone model, for example, or does comedy work for you to best convey those things? What's the what's the most palatable palatable way for you guys to digest kind of this type of subject matter? For me, it's no different than any other subject matter. It has to be integrated well into the movie that I'm watching because for me that's what comes first and foremost and you know I think the challenge with you know a political theme or subject matter and this comes up a lot with directors like Spike Lee uh, is that it can overwhelm the movie and you know without giving too much away about my feelings on this movie I actually was somewhat pleasantly surprised at how disciplined Lee seemed to be with this one but you know, that's really all it is, is I, I'm fine with whatever the subject matter is, as long as the movie is sort of the, you know, the star here, if that makes sense. Sure. That makes total sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's kind of weird with this movie because yes, I've always said for the history of this podcast, a movie's a movie is a movie and that's what has to stand on its own merit and in a hundred years this movie if you look back on it 
has to stand on that as well. And and I and I'll always believe that. But we're living in a time where e- even for me and I, I would almost say for Lee too, I think at this point that politics is such it's not even just politics anymore. It's just it it's life is 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 you know getting to the point where it's a barrage of it every day and in to almost not take to not have some sort of opinion and to try to keep it out of your everyday life whether it's your art whether it's you know your your uh the films you go see like all that it, it it's impossible it's impossible and and spike lee in this movie is just taking it directly on the the best way he knows how and that's making a movie and you know five years ago i would have had a totally maybe different reaction to this chapin than to i i would have wanted to keep it separate but at this point in my life in the world in all that stuff i think he i i totally get it and i totally get where he's coming from and i i you know i commend him and to just really get, just get right into it, I think this is one of Spike Lee, Lee's best movies, and it's the most important movie he's made in, since um, 25th Hour. Wow. Um, that's an interesting point. Well, I'm glad I asked you guys this, because I guess I guess what I was wondering is, I think he like Spike Lee has always been... I, I always consider him to be he reminds me of Woody Allen in a way. I'm not really sure why, not just because he's like an NYU New York filmmaker, but he always seems to be someone who's either on or off. He's either got the movies that he's kind of known for, which I feel like this is maybe one of them, maybe more politically oriented, maybe more culturally oriented. And then he does kind of more commercial films like inside man or the um, old boy remake. And I think just sometimes like he's got different approaches, right? Like do the right thing in this movie, I think are talking about similar issues, but they are conveyed in such a different way. Um, and I don't know. I found this one, this movie to be very effective. I, I, I just, I found myself liking this movie quite a lot, but I don't know that I connected to the political angle as much as I did in say like a do the right thing, for example. But um, anyways, well, what were your thoughts on this Lee? So, I mean, uh, I liked it. I, I do feel like it was a bit, um, a bit messy in the sense that things, certain elements became a, a kind of afterthoughts and I don't know if that's because you know, in the front of his mind and like Jeremy said, how can you blame him? You know, there was a message that Spike Lee was trying to convey and get across here. Um, but ultimately, I don't know that there was enough of a story to tell um, and I don't know how uh, true this is to the actual story that happened but like it's it's very brief what happens over the course of this movie and it sort of starts and ends sort of in the blink of an eye and there's a couple you know uh, scenes in mixed in the middle of it with either some comedy or some suspense and those scenes worked on a scene-by-scene basis for me but as a whole I felt underwhelmed um, ultimately by the movie and that has nothing to do with, you know, the message and what Spike Lee was trying to say. And that's that's where I was found it refreshing in the sense that I thought he was pretty disciplined. And until the end, um, you know, where he 
you know, plays live footage of Charlottesville last year and um, and clips of Trump, I th- I think he was very disciplined and didn't come out too, too much with his opinions. It's certainly there. There's no denying that. But that was refreshing for me. But ultimately, the story, I felt like, didn't work. Really? I, I, I totally fell for this movie, like, hook, line, sinker. And my criticism of Lee throughout the years has always been his heavy-handedness. Do, what's so funny? Do I sound stupid? No, no I'm we just got to specify which Lee you're yeah, talking which, about. I mean, we, I mean, because, like, we've been criticizing Lee all day for his... Uh, Spike. 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 Yeah, Spike. Good time for, Spike. for yeah. once. Um, <laughs> yeah, is his heavy-handedness in the way he directs and forces his message sort of uh, down the viewer's throat. And I would never have expected him to be able to do this movie with such, like, humor and levity and in a weird way, like uh, uh, he did it very gracefully. Yeah, like, I agree. I mean, it's a yeah. very I was super imp- movie. I was super impressed with the with his his sort of director's touch to this movie, which is very unlike Spike Lee. And it's almost like he's he's learned over the years that you know the hammer is not always maybe the best way to approach these things, and. On this film, he he did such a such a good job with making it about to me those two characters first and foremost, and casting really good people in those roles, and finding people that are just like super relatable, and then tying it into this, uh, you know, the mindset that we're all kind of struggling with these days. So I. I I, I give him all the credit in the world for this, and I'm the first person to criticize uh, Spike Lee when the moment's right. Like, I, I, I sometimes go out of my way to try to criticize <laughs> Spike Lee if I can do it, but i got to give him all the credit in the world for his, his grace in directing this movie. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right there. And, and that's, that, for me, is is the biggest part of this movie that I liked. Because, like you, Jeremy, like I, I went into this movie fully expecting to be hit with that Spike Lee hammer, and it wasn't really there. And I think, you know, some cre- obviously credit goes to Spike Lee, but I think some credit goes to the actors and, you know, the way that they kind of handled the material as well. I can't, To be honest, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything you guys are saying. That I was... It was, I was almost uncomfortable about how it, it, we. You guys remember what Tyson's kind of comments on um, Django way back when, was that you know he felt weird kind of enjoying that movie given the subject matter. But like I almost felt the same thing on this one where you know you're having so much fun. But like, he it, wanted it, you to enjoy this. He did. He did. And but but like you're like like the you. <laughs> I remember the first. I mean, I tend to do this, but I had a, I had a very loud. Uh, laugh like first thing in the movie and I think it was over something mm-hmm. racial I just found it very funny and it, a lot of it was played for laughs and oh, I, for was, sure. I was the only person in the theater in a very large theater laughing um, <laughs> yeah. but no, no, I there was it. definitely funny scenes in this oh, uh, yeah, after totally. he gets was... off the phone with the KKK for the first time and there's this quick line from Adam Driver one of the guys in the police station I don't remember what it was but it was it, it got a laugh from the entire theater 
Yeah, and I mean, but uh, I don't know. The re- the reason I was asking my t- my opening question for you guys is that I kind of missed that, I guess what you're calling, Jeremy, the Spike Lee hammer. I, I, I found myself, I, I was thinking about in this movie, I was like, have I ever seen a Spike Lee movie I didn't like? And I'm not sure I have. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of those ones, that, well, a lot of his, like, you know, uh, poorly reviewed movies, to to be honest. But um, I, I, I did kind of miss that, like, um, that sort of, like, the Radio Rahim, you know, breaking the fourth wall and do the right thing and some of that more kind of stylistic stuff that he did. Um, but, I mean, I do understand why you guys would find that disruptive, and I, I understand why he didn't use it here, right? Like, it became... It, it was so much more like digestible and almost more, you know, kind of like a classical movie without all that kind of spikely stuff. But I, I did find myself missing it. I wanted him to address some of these topics with that same kind of um, look. Know. Like okay. for me, this is like this is in the. I, I don't want this to sound negative because I really appreciate this movie. But this is twenty fifth hour light in a weird way. It's it's taking the seriousness of the of a subject matter, but in my in my opinion, almost in a w- weird way, more effective because it's about, like I said before, it's about the characters and uh, giving them sort of a personality that has humor, um, and, and and he's just he's sort of like I don't want to say. He's like treating it with kid gloves but he's trying to he he's trying to get it the message to the audience without being overbearing and normally like a lot of times that wouldn't work and it would be silly and it just wouldn't you know be effective but in this movie i thought it really really was well, so here's where I'll disagree, Jeremy, in in regards to this movie's effectiveness and and look, like this is sort of me kind of saying Spike Lee is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't here because while I found it somewhat refreshing to not have him hit me over the head with his his opinions this movie to me was not particularly effective and I'll give you two pretty large reasons and Adam Driver's character Flip Zimmerman is one of them because his his character arc is is so thin it's you know the idea that he's Jewish but for him, this is just a job, and you know Ron Stallworth is is consistently on him about you know having um, you know having stake in this game and and caring more about it, and he sort of just brushes it off and says no, like I'm here to do a job. And then they have this quick throwaway scene where he talks about how he never really thought about the fact that he was Jewish until until now that he has to pretend that he's not. And that's fine that that's there, but it it, it felt like it was just in there to make sure they got that point across. And and that was an that's an important piece, um, you know, his invo- with his involvement in this uh, in this con that they're pulling essentially, um, the fact that he, you know, should be you know insulted by the KKK, um, not that everybody shouldn't, but like him especially. And then the other piece, and I'm going to do my best to not sound horrible by saying this. Um, is that I, I was frustrated by the portrayal of the, the KKK members in this movie. I felt like... God. Uh, no, uh, so, no, just for the I just want to make Mark Time Lee defending the KKK <laughs> 14 minutes. 
No, all right. So here's here's my point. And, and no, this... I'm with you. I said that too. The, uh, what's his name? The uh, the the main bad guy there. Um, shit. What was his name? I don't uh, know what his real name was, but ultimately he was, the... he was just too one dimensional. Well, so all right. So they're all just a bunch of hicks, which might actually be the case. It pro- actually, in fact, you know that is the way that they're painted, and you know, so that's fine. Um, but as a result, I feel like this movie lacks some levity. There's, it, they seem so easy to dupe. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't interesting to see these guys kind of put one over on them because they didn't seem like they were particularly diff- intelligent people, and and they may not be. And that's and and that's fine. So, but as a movie, that ultimately was difficult to find the stakes in. And then an extension of that, I read something, um, an interview with Topher Grace, uh, and he had you know he had done research on David Duke, of course, and he pointed out that he found him to be a very intelligent person and a great speaker, and he, and you know he actually had a hard time you know, learning about him because he was like, this person is horrible, but I have to let, you know, have to find all the pieces of him. But if he really felt that he was intelligent and a great speaker, that's not the David Duke that he portrayed in this movie. And I've heard all sorts of things about David Duke being a doofus. And he even apparently called Ron Stallworth bitching about how the movie made him look like one. And, and also whether or not the KKK is a bunch of idiot hicks and David Duke is a doofus, that's fine. Like, if that's true, great. They probably are. In fact, I, I'm sure they are. But that didn't work cinematically, ultimately. And Yeah, I agree. <laughs> where does and that I, put us, I guess? is it t- You know, that's tough, and it's another damned if you do, damned if you don't problem for Spike Lee here, but no, I that, agree. that was my I, issue. And I had that problem specifically with um, uh, Jasper Pakanen, I guess is his name. Um, I don't know. Jesus he looks him. like a sw- Swedish guy the guy who played felix in it yep he he was just sort of so one-dimensional bad guy yeah uh he He was the one-dimensional bad guy in the kkk i well it was just so over the top with it like everything was a growl and a snarl and he just kind of reminded me of rickety cricket in a weird way on (laughs) always sunny in philadelphia but wait wait, wait. what about the main the guy who the main guy the 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 Ku Klux Klan guy who was who's sort of the president of the chapter. Yeah, I liked him. I, I thought, thought he was, was good. good. Like yeah. he was good, and he seemed you know somewhat intelligent. And I think no, and he brought the levity necessary to make those scenes cinematic. And that's why that scene, that first scene, uh, when he calls him, and they have the conversation on the phone, is is one of the best scenes in the movie for me. And it has the comedy, and it has that the absurdness of their ideology mixed with you know the kind of the brilliance of what Ron Stallworth is is doing and taking advantage of with them and it works because he does bring a certain level of intelligence to that role and I think I think he was good Hmm. yeah I think I think the flaws that you mentioned Lee are there in this movie for sure and I was able to ignore most of them there were two times in uh, specifically that I was kind of taken out of the movie because of whether you want to call it bad writing, being too on the nose. Um, there, there was a time when um, Ron Stallworth was talking to his, I guess, was his girlfriend at the time. Patrice. Kind of like, yeah, Patrice, and warned her about the bomb while he was on the porch with okay. her. That there was no need, and she was terrible in that she, scene. She, first she was of all. terrible in this whole movie. Laura in the whole Harrier, movie, she was awful. Yeah, she was really bad. But but 
it just like they should have just cut that scene from the movie because it just it was like it, it it was it goes against everything he believed in up until that point about um you know being a detective and and the importance of the case and all this he just sort of blurted it out there and just with no ramifications yeah. So there's there's that scene uh, and you can comment on the second uh, once I get my second one in and the other one was when Ron Stallworth gets pulled away by I uh, I believe it was a sergeant and he was just he just was like you know one day the american people are going to you know he's trying to get one of these guy one of these races into the office of presidency and they were basically winked at the camera um, right. and, yeah, and oh, there like, was a few instances of that, yeah. It, and it's like, okay, you're t- you're literally taking me from this movie I'm watching and taking me directly out of it to a, a different time yeah. frame. Like it's just it didn't didn't work in that moment, and it worked to me. It works in the moments that you already mentioned at the end, where he's you know brings it back into that with the footage. Um, and I was okay for, with those scenes. That yeah, was, they were just you know. It, it, it culminated in that. It made sense, but the other, the uh, those two scenes that I just mentioned just totally threw me off on this on this movie. So I, I want to talk about sort of the the alternate the uh, the secondary storyline of this movie with the um, you know, the Black Power movement kind of you know led by the chapter president Patrice, who yeah, who is horrible in this movie, and. It just kind of how that storyline played kind of running parallel to the main storyline here. I, I feel like it was necessary, and but it did feel like kind of that commercial element that you guys referenced earlier, where like it's got to have the love interest. And instead of playing more to kind of dig into the psyche of Ron Stallworth a little bit and kind of his divide and, and sort of inner turmoil between you know, being a police officer and respecting the law and, you know, believing that, you know, pardon my phrase, that blue lives matter, but also black lives matter. You know what I mean? Like, it it got away from that because it turned into a love love interest. Japen? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Nothing? On this movie? What, what's, <laughs> uh, what's, wait, what, what's wrong with that? Well, my, my what's wrong with I feel like well one it I don't I feel like it took too much away it took us away from the story that was being told, but I, I'm curious like do you guys feel like that was that commercial element that you know you guys referenced Spike Lee sort of yeah. dabbling in I mean they needed to, I mean well it'd be interesting to see if that's actually part of the real story or not um, but yeah it, like I feel like that was a kind of a for commercial purposes you needed to connect him back to he needed to have some stakes involved in you know there's this the sort of the violence of the Ku Klux Klan right there had to be some some something motivating him to keep doing it and to sort of culminate in a climax there right um and you know they they were sort of towing the line between whether you know is the Ku Klux Klan actually doing something illegal um, and I liked how that was juxtaposed with is the you know is the Black Panther movement doing anything illegal like are, are like what what are the these are two sort of juxtaposed groups that have kind of similar um, existence like they're not um, okay make a note Chapin compared Black Panthers to Ku Klux Klan <laughs> um, that is to say that you know uh, 
that you know both groups were a, sort of a threat in the eyes of the Colorado Springs Police Department, but neither were doing blatantly illegal activities yet, right? And so there had to be something that kind of solidified that for um, Ron Stallworth. Yeah, and and look, like I think what's interesting is you know, and I, I and regardless of whether you you cut that point out, Chape, and the. The juxtaposition between uh, between those two groups, I think, is important. And I think th- the challenge here is that if this, Jeremy said, if this movie was made five years ago by Spike Lee, he'd have a different reaction to it. But, you know, if this movie was made five years ago with our country not sort of in the, you know, political and cultural state that it is, it, I feel like it would almost be more appropriate or more accepted to, you know, emphasize that comparison and ultimately have, I think... A, probably a better movie even if maybe a more controversial one that you know it doesn't have it it, it it can pick sides and i don't think that's it's a hard side to choose in this instance but it doesn't mean that you have to just totally write off the other one for the i sound horrible and i don't want to but i i, I want to emphasize that i'm suggesting this from a cinematic point of view that the bad guy has to have a sympathetic side yeah or something there and yeah and and that's all right look spike lee's bad guy in this movie is the fucking ku klux klan so (laughs) i don't you know what's he supposed to do but as a movie and i said this before as a movie it makes it really hard to you know really emphasize the stakes here because it's it you know it's just kind of there and I think a comparison, you know, the, the comparison or juxtaposition between the Black Panther movement and the Ku Klux Klan movement would have elevated the stakes in this movie because you would have had sort of like a, a kind of a struggle for Ron Stallworth on like, you know, what he believes and that they touched on it. It was there a little bit, but it ultimately wasn't emphasized. Yeah, it's interesting because thinking back on this movie, it is a bit messy when it comes to that sort of thing. Um as far as like it's cinematic like overview uh, you know because you're getting to points where you you know you're in the middle of these like clan rallies but then you you cut back to Ron Stallworth and he's you know doing he he's doing like some sort of karate chopping thing and i always i liked it at the t- like i, I I thought it was funny, and I thought, you know, th- like I said, like it brought levity to a, a situation that was, uh, you know, it, it, tough to di- digest. But it does, like looking back on it, it does feel like maybe it was a little messier than I thought while watching it. Like th- the points you guys bring up, maybe the, the movie itself was a, a bit messier. Um, but, you know... When I watched it, I, 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 I fell for it, for sure. I, 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 I went along with it. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with, you know, um, where we are today in, you know, in America and my feelings towards that and, like, trying to, you know, express them. And, and I feel like it Spike Lee really hit a nerve when it came to that that thing without it being cynical and that's the that's the great thing about this movie and the thing i can relate to the most is it wasn't cynical and it still touched on that nerve that you 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 know at least i wanted to be able to express um 
and that's hard to do. It's hard not to be cynical and to still deal with this this issue and deal with these problems. And and that's what I'm most impressed with with this movie. Well, I I liked I'm glad this movie was a comedy. I liked that approach to it. And I think had this movie had a little bit more of what I was looking for and asking for here, uh it it becomes less of a comedy perhaps if you if all those things are there and it still kind of has that light comedic tone to it this is we're talking about one you know one of the best movies we've seen in years i think um so you know i i do give it credit um i enjoyed it i liked it it just you know all the things i pointed out kind of were the were some major misses for it for me i agree Um, and i think you guys are right all these flaws are there um i just found it uh a cathartic movie experience for me and i think there's something to say about that no i think that's really interesting that you say that jeremy that you know maybe and i think it's a real if it is in fact intentional on spike lee's part there is something sort of like the ease at which you can watch this movie and kind of enjoy it and really get into the story is like like again like i said was a little bit disturbing for me but at the same time it was like it was it was an easy watch right like it wasn't like watching um you know django or like 12 years a slave or something and and where you know you you're sort of struggling through the movie. It's hard to watch. And I think a lot of times that makes sense, you know, like to, if things are, you know, to, to depict a difficult time in history, it's, it's, it's uh, effective to make the audience feel that way. But Spike Lee kind of makes this movie very digestible. And, but at the same time, you're like, you're enjoying seeing them. You're, it's like, it's like this classic kind of movie that we've seen a hundred times, but the stakes are real, like, and it's a real, and it's, and you're, you're enjoying seeing these guys like get over on these people that are, yeah. are, are stupid and hateful, which is, which is interesting. It's interesting. That's still, that's still a kind of a cathartic feeling. And, um, I, 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 when, when he, you know, when they kind of transitioned to the end with the, um, Charlottesville footage and the, I think, I mean, to me, I, at first I was like, you know, that stuff was so powerful to see, especially on a big screen. Um, It really was. Yeah. It didn't connect me. It didn't connect so much back to that kind of classical looking movie, that beautiful filmed movie we'd just seen. But then seeing David Duke talk kind of made that solidified that connection for me. Um, It kind of just like wrapped it all up. It was like, you know, this is not, this was not what you just watched this like fun. It's not history. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, it, it, it isn't, it isn't a, fake story it isn't an easy easy digestible movie it's actually real and still going on um right and i think that's what's so smart about him making this a period piece well what what i think was like so those that those the footage at the end what i liked about that is that was spike lee's hammer that we're talking about and it did it, it was effective. Right. It was effective because it came at the right time. What exactly? What, what's unfortunate, however, is that the 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 last essential scene of the movie, um, where he uses that double dolly shot that he always uses, and I'd like I want to talk a little bit in a minute about some of his you know stylistic choices and that we see from him a lot. But that that scene where they kind of go down the hallway and they see the cross burning and ultimately realize that all that they did didn't change anything that's where the hammer should have been and that scene ultimately didn't work and yeah the the Charlottesville footage was impactful and it was it was hard to watch in many ways and it it really was a I think a pretty good stamp on this movie to remind you that 
you know, all this stuff happened, you know, a couple decades ago, but ultimately look at where we are today. And that's important. But why did that? Again, I'm sorry I keep to coming to you. Lee. Why did that not that scene? Why did that not work for you? That last scene with the cross? Uh, ultimately, and this is silly, it ultimately didn't work because of his stylistic choices. That double dolly shot with the exact same music that he uses with the exact same shot in Inside Man. It felt yeah, like that, it was that a, was interesting. It was, there was the same music cue. Yeah, so that that sort of was what did it. It distracted me, and maybe that's not going to happen to everybody because the cross burning was effective in that sense, um, but ultimately the scene was a little distracting for me. Um, I agree, and it was also even more stylized than anything else in that movie. Well, so yeah, so let's get into that because I I do have an issue with some of his choices that he makes that seem to lack motivation. There's that, and then another one that I noticed at the beginning of the movie, what during the that entire speech that we had to listen to. I don't know why he felt it was necessary to have the whole speech, but he kept doing those like silhouetted shots yeah. of people's faces appearing and yeah. I, I felt there was no motivation for that and I feel like that's a problem Spike Lee has a lot um, it's fine to kind of do these things and have a signature but there's no motivation for it no I, I agree with you they felt a little out of place but I wanted more of that I mean that's what sort of this is what I struggle with is that I really enjoy I mean I, I know you're going to you're going to laugh at me, Lee, but I like those dolly shots. I like his little stylistic quirks. I wanted more of that in this movie. So it's, but I, but I didn't, but, but they're yes, kind they, of, they kind of bookend the movie. Yeah. And they stand out. Um, um, and they, they feel a little out of place, but, uh, yeah, you know, but I guess, and, and the reason that is, is that I, I, I think those stylistic choices, those those Spike Lee quirks they they make the movie mo- they make his scenes and his movies more um, I don't know that they, they like they elevate the material a little bit they make them they seem more dramatic um, I you know like I I went away I went away from this movie and and feeling that you know that's that speech that Edward Norton gives in the bathroom um, of his dad's bar to the mirror. Uh, you know that 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 sort of yeah, sequence, yeah. right? I mean, it, that is, I don't know how you guys feel about that sequence. It's it's such a powerful sequence. I can understand why it might not be everybody's favorite, but um, to me, that says so much more than um, I. I just wanted more of that. I wanted more of that kind of almost like breaking the fourth wall. The sort of the sort of transcending the, the the film to kind of go out of it and, and but I I get why he doesn't like it's a risky move it doesn't always work sometimes you you get into those modes and and I, I bet a lot of people walked away from that Ed Norton speech and and found it very you know distracting and 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 kind of like what's the relevance of this to the to the movie we just saw but or to the rest of that story but um I don't know I I feel like those you want I, I, I those voices are 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 stronger and stand out more when they embrace you know unique storytelling. Um, so. Yeah, I I agree with you, Jabin. You want a, a director like Spike Lee to be a director, and you want it, you want him to show um, his unique style in in those ways. Like you want to see that. I, it, I think we can all agree it doesn't always work. But, yeah, you take the you know, good with the bad. With you him. take the good with the bad, and you know, like th- that point where he was given the speech, 
at the uh, at the re- the college rally there, and they were doing that uh, you know silhouettes of the heads. You, I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'm watching. This is not a commercial movie. I'm watching a Spike Lee movie right yeah. now. You know, like that's what's going through my head at that point, whether yeah, I like it or not. And it's weird, but like of all the movies for Spike Lee to not be himself from start to finish, it's weird that he chose this one. Like it really is kind of bookended that he has those scenes at the beginning where you, you know, you see him kind of being the director that he is. And then he, you know, caps everything off with, off with his double dolly shot and everything in the middle could have been directed by, by anybody, you know, to at least to a certain extent. To an extent, but I mean, this is a very, very Spike Lee movie. The subject matter is, but I don't know that the filmmaking is. Yeah, no, uh, it has its flaws, like we said, and he's not, I I think it would be overbearing. It goes back to what I liked about this movie. It it goes back to how he dealt with this movie with, you know, humor and levity. Like, I think he, he couldn't have it both ways. Like, you can't have the overly stylized 25th hour scream into the mirror shots all the time and also have this great uh, humor and levity. Like no, of you, course not. Of course not. Yeah. You have to, and it's almost, and, I mean, it's almost a style in and of itself, right, Jeremy? Like, you, I thought that was really powerful what you said. You you left feeling some catharsis and, you know, it's it wasn't the in-your-face punch you with the hammer, as you said, Lee, um, that that we usually expect from Spike Lee, but you still felt it. Yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I, I think that's what works about this movie too, and and it's odd because you know, Twenty Fifth Hour, and we keep going back to that, you know, because it sort of dealt with you know characters in the aftermath of nine eleven, and you know, sort of the the state of the country at that time period. While here we're dealing with you know, kind of the, the same idea. Uh, and they're tonally, they're totally different movies, but ultimately, the story that's being told in Twenty Fifth Hour is is Edward Norton's individual story and the consequences of his actions. Whereas here, we're dealing with kind of the all encompassing world that we live in and have lived in in the past, and that's why the tones need to be different and. That's why, like you, Jeremy, I appreciated sort of the the lightness of this movie. And again, it, this w- we'd be talking about one of the best movies ever made if this kind of combined the two appropriately. I, you know, and because which is almost impossible. It, it is because really, a, a really great comedy that deals with a serious subject matter such as this is 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 incredibly hard to do, and very few movies have ever done it. And and I'm not asking for that from anybody. Never mind Spike Lee, but. You know, and and that's why I say I I did like this movie, and I I think I left feeling similarly to you, Jeremy. But as a movie, it that's what I was looking at, and you know, I had my notepad, and I'm writing shit down the whole time, and I you know, and I that was where I felt like it was was sort of a disappointment. Right, and and I feel like for me, I have two two sides of my brain fighting on this movie. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, because I have that, like, everything you guys brought up about the filmmaking is right in the storytelling. There are there are, there are big flaws in this But you movie. also live in this world. But I live in this world, <laughs> yeah. and it, this movie's expressing something that I, I feel like, you know, needs to be expressed for sure. You know, like I said, five years ago, it would have been a different story maybe entirely. And I, it, But at this point, you know, I, you know, I, I'm... I, forever I was very much like Ron Stallworth was in this movie when he 
uh, going back to this scene that I said was out of place, but when he had that scene with the, uh, the sergeant and uh, the sergeant saying, you know, this could happen in the future and, and, and Ron Stallworth's like, no, the American people will never do that. And I was, I, you know, forever yeah. I've been the Ron Stallworth. We all were as recently as two and a half years ago. Exactly, and yeah. now at this point, you just you just kind of like go, okay, no, it's 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 time to have, it, it's time to wake up when it comes to this stuff. So, and I think that's I think that's like a, a subject matter that like Spike Lee was directly trying to get to and tap into uh, with this movie, and I I applaud him for it. Well, I just thought I. Um kind of uh, revisiting our um, Fincher retrospective, I thought it was interesting. I think these are really kind of... To me, these retros- retrospectives are both sort of the most fun thing we do, but also they I always leave them feeling like we could have done another hour and a half. <laughs> oh, my God, um, for sure, yeah. You know, we don't really get to always talk so much about the directors. You know, we talk more about the indiv- individual movies, but we don't talk so much about you know, what we really like about the directors or their styles in, in particular. But I thought what, an interesting observation that I made was that... Should we go? Really good. <laughs> I'm sorry. What I, I, what, an interesting thing that I realized um, after listening to the podcast, not that I made in the podcast, um, was that both in the Fincher and the Tarantino podcasts, uh, there was... I, I the, was fucking barely... I was... I, so fucking brilliant and the two of you guys were awful um no oh i've um, taken some serious heat today i'm gonna did. defend myself after this yeah but. i'd love to hear it but but um to me like that what was really interesting is that there was for each of them there was two films that i knew were going to be challenged that were going to be kind of like the um we're going to be the, the the one film that I knew I was going to have trouble placing, and it was it was for both of them. It was their sort of their the movie they're mo- they're most famous for, and that was Fight Club for Fincher and Pulp Fiction for Tarantino. And I knew going in that those were going to be the hardest to place, and that everything else was going to have to be sort of slotted in around that. Um, so I thought that was really I thought that was kind of an interesting point. And I wonder if when we continue this, that there were did you guys have a, so my my question for you was did you guys have a similar feeling or a similar or maybe it was a different movie for you guys? But also, do you feel like going forward we're going to have this same problem? Like uh, not problem, but you know this same phenomenon. Like if for another director, is there going to be that one movie that they're known for that that? we are going to have to sort of slam down at, you know, one particular number and then, then, you know, slot our list around. For me, it was, it's not exactly that, but I did have sort of kind of a, like the same sort of issue with two movies with, with Django and, and for the Fincher one, it was Gone Girl where I watched them and I was like, shit, these are going to end up pretty fucking high on my list. And you know, Django, of course, ended up being my number one, and perhaps more surprising, Gone Girl ended up at four for me on my Fincher list. But that was sort of the the issue for me, as I was, you know, I, I watch these movies and I revisit them, and going into them, I'm like, okay, we're probably looking at like, you know, the latter half of the list for these because they're not ones I held in particularly high regard going into them. But then I watch them and I'm like, shit, this I had these all wrong, and I think that's where you know, all of a sudden my my preconceived expectation of my list gets all screwed up. Yeah, no, I, I had it different than Lee. I decided not to put the worst movies on top. (laughs) 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 
and uh, go with the best ones. Actually, with with Tarantino Pulp Fiction, I knew it was going to be my favorite, and it's for a multitude of reasons. I, I had no question about that. But with Fincher, his top four, honestly, like I said on the podcast, if I, you know, I could have switched those around and been happy with my choices. There was no clear uh, number one for me on that. Uh, I just, to go to your point, Jabin, like Seven and Fight Club, both, I knew, like, what, like, what were they to me? Or were they as good as I thought they were? Or were they as good as... I had perceived them to be back when I saw them for the first time. Right. Like, where where was it? And that's right. what I had to settle. Hmm. Well, so if I can quickly defend myself a bit, since it, the podcast has been out for you know about twenty four hours now, and I've taken some serious heat, and and I I don't take back anything I said on that podcast. Hmm. Um, but I do I do want to emphasize the fact that Zodiac is a great movie. I. I I I enjoy it quite a bit, and I sounds like he's I, taking stuff back. No, sounds I didn't. Like I I said on that podcast that it's a good movie. I I um, fuck, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, too bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I I do feel like there was a there was a significant portion of that podcast where I was playing devil's advocate, and part of the reason is what I mentioned that there was a certain level of you know me being underwhelmed by his movies as a whole his his best are still amazing um but as a result i do think you know with a few movies panic room zodiac i played devil's advocate and it didn't it doesn't mean those aren't good movies it doesn't mean i don't like them um and especially zodiac like it it, it is a great movie um and look we we can continue amongst ourselves to have the argument about whether or not gone girl belongs ahead of it and i i i don't doubt that you guys could convince me that it that's ridiculous. But when I put that list together after rewatching those movies, that's how they all fell. Um, and it doesn't necessarily take anything away from Zodiac as much as it's a, a credit to, to Gone Girl. But um, there's there's my piece. You think guys a guy is this close to getting caught and sticks his head out? You get no guys to me. Because you're stupid, verbal. Because you're guys a cripple. So what I want to know is who's the gimp. You know, you know the whole fucking time. These guys are so sad. If he comes up for any guys are so sad. get rid of me. But I'm sure Keaton is dead. I can't feel my legs. Kaiser. First thing I learned on the job, you know what it was? How to spot a murderer. You tell me you got the cripple in there from New York. Yeah. He mentioned Kaiser Soze. Who? After that, my guess is you'll never hear from him again. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. This week on our top five, we're doing top five characters who are pretending to be someone else. Criteria is pretty simple. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time explaining that. But um, why don't I kick us kick us off? Um, so for my number five, I went with a film called Dave. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah. Kevin Starring Klein. Kevin Klein, where he replaces, he looks just like the president, and when the president uh, has a heart attack, he is replaced by his 
political adversary or his um poli- the political people in the White House uh, to play the president. He like is a in re- like his character in real life is like a, a president lookalike. That's how he makes money, right? Yeah, I think it, so. And that's how they find him. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I saw that movie. I saw it come up on a couple lists, um, but didn't remember it. But you were able to find lists. I found no lists. I, I had to be creative, um, kind of in my searches. But right. Kevin well, Klein's a great actor. I don't know. I don't know why he gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I think that's a fun movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, I feel like it was the ultimate switcheroo. So, uh, Lee, why don't you go? You're number five, and any criteria quickly? Uh, yeah, I did have just two things that I um, excluded. Uh, uh, <laughs> I excluded cross-dressers. Um, so it took out, like, Tootsie, for example. Prejudice. Um, and I took out con artist movies, because I feel like the whole premise there is uh, essentially... Um, pretending to be someone else so i wanted to narrow some things down so uh my number five is uh i was going back and forth on a couple and it perhaps doesn't totally fit because he doesn't change he doesn't say he's somebody else but he does essentially become someone else it is witness with harrison ford directed by peter weir um he's always a cop and they know he's a cop but he does ensconce himself in the Amish community in that movie in order to kind of investigate this crime and simultaneously protect the witness uh, the young boy who saw the murder um, and as the movie continues and goes on he sort of becomes more and more ensconced in that community and essentially in many ways becomes somebody else uh, so I think it worked to that extent and kind of a good kind of a movie we don't talk about well we never talk about but I think kind of a lost movie of the 80s and within Harrison Ford's career. Okay. Yeah, that? it's a it's a good pick. It's, a, it's been so long since I've seen that movie and uh, it's always on the top of best screenplays. It's really good. The the script is great and kind of the because of you know all the double crosses and such and people, you know, I get double crossing. Yeah, all yep. the double crossing <laughs> the people double crossing. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, your number five and criteria. Uh, I didn't really have any criteria, so I'll just go with my number five, and it's uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Oh, wow. oh I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that that fits both our, our both categories of the top five we were considering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we want uh, number yeah. five. Use your uh, imagination. <laughs> Kurt, uh, he plays uh, Kurt, Lazarus. Kurt Lazarus, and he he plays whatever. Wait, is that the is Kurt Lazarus the? That's uh, his real actually, name. That's his real name, and then he plays. He's the, the dude uh, playing the dude disguised as the yeah. other dude. I don't know what else to say. That's it's such a great performance, and it's it such really a risky is. performance, <laughs> oh and it just pays off. He had nothing to lose at that point in his career. Then <laughs> Iron Man came out, and <laughs> forget about it. He was like, "Woo, that could have been bad." <laughs> um, okay, so my number four. I you know it's uh, you, I always get those uh, those hits of like the first thing that comes to mind when these lists when we when we decide on these lists. And um, I was trying to I was trying to place this movie. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. I was like, it, it was like, it was a, it was a Western, but it was also, um, I, it was like, it was a con, it was a con artist, but it was in a Western. And then I realized it was, it was in there will be blood. And it's the uh, actor, Kevin O'Connell O'Connor, And he plays, um, he's sort of posing as, um, the, uh, Daniel played view's brother. And oh then yeah. He, right. He realizes Great that pick. it's not. And it's the, that's sort of, I mean, it's such a, such a moment for Daniel Plainview when he realizes that that's not his real family and that this guy's been conning him and 
Um, well, it's I, also where you see moment. Daniel kind of go from just sort of an ass into a, like a criminal. <laughs> yeah. A, a villain almost. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right, Lee, what's your pick. number four? Number four, a movie that I probably haven't seen since high school. I'm pretty sure I own it, um, but there's a lot of movies that could fall into that category. It is Donnie Brasco. With, that was uh, uh, an honorable. Al and Johnny Depp. Honorable mention for me. Does he change his name Name in that? Obviously he does. Yeah, Donnie but... Brasco is his pseudonym. Um, oh, we don't know what his real name is. No, we is. do. I, uh, I'm oh, going to okay. look it up right now. I don't remember. Um, uh, Jonathan Depp? Uh, nope. (laughs) Joe Pistone. Joe Pistone. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's a good pick. It's an honorable match for me. All right. All right. My number four. Speaking of movies we liked in high school, uh, it is Edward Norton as both Aaron and Roy in Primal Fear. Oh, beautiful shit! I was going back and forth on my three and four, and if I only put that at four. Yeah, I would have had to go to Donnie Brasco. <laughs> Beautiful Fuck. pick. That's a great one. Um, okay, my number three is I found this while searching. I found, I, this one came to mind when I realized was searching for another pick, um, and a, the this actor came up in a, in a different pick, which I won't name. It gets on one of your guys' list, but I decided to go a different direction, and that's uh, Robin Williams and Nathan Lane in The Birdcage. Um, if you guys don't know. They are their son yeah, never seen is getting married to a Republican senator's daughter, um, but they are two very gay men who own a nightclub on Miami Beach, and they have to sort of host <laughs> this senator who played by brilliantly by Gene Hackman, um, and pretend that they are a straight couple, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, hilarity ensues. I've never seen that movie. It's it's actually really good. It's really good. All right, so uh, my number three uh, is now going to be the one that lost out to Witness at number five, but it, I'm kind of glad because it was one I wanted to get on the list. It's My Cousin Vinny. Um, for most of the movie, uh, Joe Pesci plays himself when he's around Ralph Macchio, but with the judge, he has to pose as, at first, Jerry Gallo, the famous New York attorney. Mm. When he realizes that he's dead, he has to be <laughs> Jerry Callow. <laughs> With a C. Yes, that's a great. That's a great pick. Never seen that movie. Okay, what? Your Come turn. on, your you turn. Even, that movie. All right, all right, Chief. I was embarrassed. I'd never go. seen the Bird Cage. Move on. <laughs> uh, all right, my number three, and the reason I put this at number three, I feel like uh, this type of character happens a lot in movies, but this is the time that uh, they actually discuss the importance of acting in this role it is tim roth in reservoir dogs as he pretends to be one of the criminals yeah i had a feeling that might come up for you because you, you made such a great point about acting on the uh on the uh uh tarantino podcast which is still available to download on itunes and google play wow, good plug thank you okay so uh, are we in number twos already yeah, because you keep rushing us <laughs> <Yeah>. along. <laughs> wow, we're just chugging through this one. <laughs> okay. Um, so my Chapin my, had so, so little to say during the Black Klansman. No, I just couldn't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, that's true. Okay, my number two is... Um, uh, what is... Hurry up. <laughs> oh we got God. places to be. 
Um, Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Oh wow, good that, pick. That was that was on my. Uh, I didn't even night. think about that. Um, yeah, I, you... I just have something to say. I I, I went to go, that movie was show. I went with a couple of friends to see that movie. It was actually showing at a theater here, um, and I was kind of uh, <laughs> underwhelmed by the movie, um, but I thought Anthony Perkins just like blew me away. He's just like acting on a different level than everybody else in that movie. It's as if he's he's acting in 2018 and everybody else is stuck back in 1960. Um, I thought he's amazing, and um, yeah, that's my number two. It's a good. No, it's pick. a great, great pick. It was an honorable mention for me. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, my number two. Uh, I'm gonna go way back here. This is a movie that I way saw back, in film school, back. and have seen it since. It's a great movie, classic slapstick comedy. My man Godfrey. You guys seen that film? Wow, no, I have not. Um, <laughs> so it's essentially is. Godfrey is this millionaire uh, and he decides to kind of disguise himself as a homeless man and he gets kind of brought in by this this rich family uh, as their butler um, and and ends up there's a love story between him and Carol Lombard, Lombard or uh, Carl Lombard is that what it is um, and, and Carl Carol oh, so Lombard the 1936 screwball comedy correct not, they, they remade it evidently in 1957. Oh, really? Well, I'm talking about the 1936 version. It's the only one I've seen, which is it's a fantastic movie. Um, but yeah, essentially, he's a millionaire, kind of d- disguising himself as a homeless person to kind of a- escape the <laughs> the struggles of being a millionaire. Sounds yeah. like a movie Adam Sandler would make now. <laughs> yeah, <No? laughs> that was I the mean, other really, criteria. Like... Is I left off all Adam Sandler and Eddie Murphy movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Tyler Perry right. movies. Sorry, Chapin. I know that he's probably your number one. Say that again. Tyler, Tyler Perry. Perry. Uh, yeah, Tyler Perry in <laughs> Medea's soul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was looking what? up like witness protection movies to try to get some ideas, and the first one that came up was Medea's witness protection. <laughs> I was like, oh, Chapin's number one, Tyler Perry. Uh, I, what was the list you had him on? It was a legit pick. Like performances yeah. that surprised us or something. Yeah. yeah. All, All right. right. All right. I'll go to my number two, Jason. We don't need to talk about my love of Tyler Perry anymore. <laughs> All right. My number two is Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman slash Tony Clifton in Man on the Moon. That's a great, great pick. Beautiful. Uh, wow. I, I don't know if you guys saw the documentary too. That's yeah. uh, I didn't finish that it, out. Yeah. What a psycho! I, yeah. I I don't know where to stand on that. I mean, as somebody who works in film, I would be super annoyed. Like just beyond like like this is not like any other profession. If you tried to do this, you'd be fired immediately. Um, <laughs> yeah, poor Milos Forman. <laughs> I know. Like, you just can't treat people that way, man. But, like, it's interesting, and it's, like, you know, it's art, so we're kind of going with it. And it, this works on, like, three levels because, you know, Jim Carrey was... So is your pick the documentary or the or or Man on the Moon? I guess it could be it's either. It's Man on the Moon, <laughs> but it, it really works in three levels if it's a documentary because Jim Carrey is playing Andy Kaufman and yeah, Andy who's Kaufman playing, to play yeah. Tony Clifton. Uh, yeah. It's worth seeing that documentary if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, my number one. I don't know if this qualifies, but I feel like it does. It's uh, Christian Bale in The Prestige. 
where he's actually it definitely qualifies two yeah. brothers and they are actually kind of going the other way they're pretending they are one person to um really just kind of pull off the ultimate magic trick uh i love i love um we we i feel like recently we were i don't remember when but oh i think it was talking about um fight club we were talking about uh how you know those sort of surprise endings or reveals are kind of um that, that you guys were talking about how that one was particularly good um and I, I agree and i think one reason it's good and one reason i really like the prestige is that you know the the surprise ending really kind of um like a fine wine kind of just makes you appreciate the point of the movie a little bit more it's not you know it's part of the fabric of the movie it may you know that payoff is um you know important to how we digest uh both the prestige and fight club Feedback. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad you you included that because it was one I considered, but I was, I, I was oddly trying to find a reason to exclude it. I feel like we just talk so much about Christopher Nolan, and also, you know, they because there's essentially two of them, but they are sort of pretending to be each other or somebody else at the same time. Um, I, I, it was kind of one that I was for whatever reason trying to keep off my list, so I'm glad it made it because it's it's a good pick. Um, my number one is a movie that I've always really loved, um, a five-star movie for me back in the day, and I've recently rewatched it, and it holds up. Great movie, Mulholland Drive. That's that's why that was on my list for who, who, movies I need to, to revisit. So Naomi Watts is she's essentially Diane Selwyn pretending to be Betsy for the whole first part of the movie um, until she wakes up. Yeah, I know she's essentially dreaming, really. But uh, I know that's a movie you really like, and I've always found it strange that you like it uh, because it always kind of it was it was too weird for me when I first saw it. But uh, it's so good. It is it's the ultimate mood movie. Like the the mood of that movie is just hypnotizing. Um, It does take a few viewings to kind of really like put the pieces together, and there's still parts that are a mystery to me. But that's always going to be the case, I think, with David Lynch to a certain extent. Um, but it's, it's so good. Like the, it, it's glamorous and gritty all at the same time. Like it's, it's so well done. Cool. All right. Uh, I know how we try to like replace them if they get taken, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't have another option that's going to be worthy of a number one. So I'm just going to go with Christian Bale in the prestige. That was my number one as well. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a great pick. It's a brilliant, brilliant pick. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We'd love to hear from you at e-feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. <laughs> not, not e-feedback, yeah, just e-feedback. feedback <laughs> at the feedback at getyourfilmfix.com. What the hell is happening? Podcast. <laughs> film Fix Podcast. <laughs> feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. I don't even know uh, our own goddamn email address. Hit us up on our socials at Get Your Film Fix Podcast. Tweet about us. No, don't tweet because none of us have Twitter. And none of us would know. Um, just you know, <laughs> at us. Do do anything you can to let other people know about this brilliant, brilliant podcast. Which this one is especially representative of the quality. <laughs> <laughs> As we rush through it, and Jeremy, Jeremy didn't sounds, didn't Chapin need like to leave? <laughs> okay, thank you very much for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee.
enjoying my coffee. <laughs> 